Good morning. Um, Fra, thanks for sharing that. I know that's, uh, I know when you come to me and then spoke to Benji as well, it's, uh, it takes courage to stand up here. But you know what? We need to hear from everyone in this church who's got something from God to share. We need to hear from each other. Otherwise, we don't operate as a body. And if we don't operate as a body, we're ineffective. Um, if I'm walking on one leg or hopping around, I'm nowhere near as fluid as I'm walking. I somewhat debate that I'm not fluid when I'm walking anyway, but that's a different matter. Um, today, what I want to look at is something that is so prevalent in our society, and it's identity. It's a major concern in society. There's multiple views and debates, um, pop on TV, social media. We can ignore the topic or pretend we don't care, but it's a subject that many of us are challenged on. Now, you know, I'm not going to get into multiple things about identity. What I want to touch on is some challenges that we have to identity, something that we face every day. But there is one thing I want to sort of touch on, which is a fundamental challenge to our identity that is presented in such a way that it questions a number of things about us. It questions or directly challenges our ability to reason and to respond to what's in front of us. It questions what we are and indeed who we say we are. It actually questions our humanity. In fact, it questions our very existence. Some of you will have had this challenge in the last few days, maybe yesterday, maybe this morning. And this is how you experience that challenge. The reality is, you know, we face challenges like this every day. And all you're trying to do is doing some line, online shopping. And then not only that, but not content with that, you face a quiz. You know. And, okay, you, know, you might think, where's he going with this? But here's the thing. When we tell people we're a Christian, when you say I'm a Christ follower, often we face a series of questions. Often we are asked to prove who we are. And that's the, and one thing about that is then that starts to inhabit how we think and how we respond. It starts to inhabit our thought life and we call into question our identity as someone who follows Jesus. And now there's whole, lots of debates that are about identity and I'm not going into those. I really want to centrally look at what does how we think as to who we are as a Christian affect us on a daily basis and how does that work out in our lives? See, there's a few ways we can think of identity and how we define who we are. And it affects my conversation. It affects your conversation. It affects how we make decisions. And it affects actually not only how we communicate, but actually how we respond to events in our lives. So the way we define ourselves, it is vital as a Christian, not only in our lives, but those of the people whose lives we inhabit and impact. But we can live with a false sense of identity. We can live with a way that lines up the way other people want to define us, the way society wants to define us. And I just want to touch on a few of those things. I'm not going to go into a whole list. But where we can get our identity from is that I am what I do, that you are what you do. 
So in other words, I express everything about me and I wrap myself up in what I'm doing. And even in Christian ministry, that can become a problem where you can get so involved and so bound up in the ministry and serving that actually you miss the person that you're serving who's God. You miss the guidance of the Holy Spirit. You almost become self-dependent. Several years ago, Valerie and myself were heavily involved in church. And then it just through a set of circumstances, found, I, I found myself no longer involved in any way of service. It just happened. And what challenged me at the end of at, at that time was I had realized that I had come to identify myself completely or almost complete as a Christian in what I was doing and how I was serving, not in my relationship with God, not in the God I was serving. I had to rebuild parts of my Christian life because I got this false sense of who I was wrapped up in the wrong thing. The other area we can get identity from is what we have. We live in, I mean, I'm not going to say you live, we live in the material world with the Madonna headset, so don't panic. <laughs> but we do, we wrap up, you know, we have the latest gadget, the latest thing, do comparisons with what other people have, and go, well, I've got the better this or the better that. And the problem is when we do that, we lose sight of the provider. We lose sight of the source of everything we have. Because God is the provider and the source. And our identity, even in, the, in possession, should be in him who, 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 gave us, who gives us those things in the first place. And actually, for me, the one I think that nearly everyone struggles with is you, build, you and I can build our identity so easily on what people say about us. On what people say who we are. If you're in school, teacher said something about you, you take it and you live your life on that. A parent, a loved one, a friend. And that can cause us to respond in ways and live in ways that are completely the wrong way to look at things. In fact, it's probably one of the most difficult areas for us to deal with. Because we want to, you know, it's just natural for us to want to meet the expectations of others. We want to respond to that. And we can either end up trying to consistently please other people and miss pleasing God. Or we can wallow in a morose state, just going, oh, I'll never get to that. Or, you know, I'm an idiot. You know, I'm useless. Because someone said that. And we just let that inhabit our life and our thinking. And we can start to think ourselves in what other people expect of us, what they've said about us. Rather than what God says, who we are in and through Jesus. We just miss it because of that. And when we get identified by any of those things on, there are lots of others I don't have time to go through. There really are, if you like to use a phrase, worldly wants. There are things that sort of, you know, everyone in the world wants to identify by uh, themselves with and want us to do it as well. And it pushes us to rely on our own abilities, on our own resources, and not on the God who loves us and cares for us and says, you're my child, you're my son, you're my daughter. And we end up rejecting God's love so easily when we do that. So what does the Bible say about us? Well, in Ephesians 2.19, we read this. You are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people. And also members of his household. 
you are so accepted by God. I am so accepted by God. Accepted into his kingdom, which is powerful, but into his home, into his family. You are accepted, not rejected, not despised, not defined by everything else everyone wants to say. You are accepted into God's family. In John 1, 3, we read that we are children of God. He writes this, Behold what manner of the love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. You and I are children of God when we accept Jesus in our lives. But the can lead us to hold a view of that that is always less, not pleasing to God, that we almost sort of think of ourselves as worthy of some form of punishment because we're doing this on a tally basis. Where you got out a ledger of the things that are good and the things that are bad. And you know what? We always have a long ledger of the negative rather than the positive in our lives. But in Romans chapter 8, at the start of the chapter, verses 1 and 2, Paul says this. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. No condemnation. Not some, not a bit, not a little, but none. That list of all the things you think are wrong with you, that you've done wrong, that you haven't met expectations of other people, or you haven't got the latest, none of those count because there's no condemnation for you and me. Prior to this those particular verses in chapter 7, Paul actually starts referencing his own personal struggle with doing and choosing to do the right and the wrong thing. He actually calls himself a worm. Oh, what a worm or what a wretch am I, depending on your translation. But he points out that he's not condemned and neither are we. So when we let thoughts of condemnation sit in our mind, we need to remind ourselves of the truth that we are not condemned. Why? Because of Jesus. Now, that's not a license to do as we please. Just, you know, let's be clear on that. It is absolutely not. It's actually a license to be free from the things that would hold Things that, you know, not because we're under obligation to God, in a, in a sense, but because of God's love, then we respond to that love and we do things out of that love. Not out of it. Basically, it's been led by the Spirit. Led by the desire of God in our life, not our own desires. Led by not what people say, but what God says. Led by not what we want to achieve, but what God wants to do through us and for us. And by that, bless other people. If we try to do it our way, in our own ability and our own strength, we're going to struggle. We are. We are. But the good news is we don't have to live that way. We can live a life led by the Spirit of God. Life that knows not only freedom from condemnation in our thoughts, but free to be led by the Spirit. Free to be people, to be a people who overcome. Paul, towards the end of the chapter, builds on the theme. He develops this whole argument about condemnation and the struggles we have. And he says this at the end, verses 37 to 39. He says this, No, 
And all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So what does more than conquerors really mean? Well, I apologize to the Greek scholars in the room. I'm going there, so just bear with me. Paul's word for conquerors is the Greek word, and by the way, I googled the pronunciation of this. It's pronounced nakao. That's actually where we get the word Nike from, victory. And so it means to conquer. It means to carry off the victory. It means to come out victorious, to overcome. And by the way, just when I said Nike, other sports brands are available, just to be clear. (laughs) Paul says to you and I, and about himself, that we are more than conquerors. Now that doesn't mean... We've gone out and won a nice football game, and apologies, but I support Tottenham, so I'm not used to winning, you know, seeing that too often these days. But anyway, you know, it's not about that. What it is, is a victory that is complete because of Jesus. It is a victory through Jesus' death and resurrection that he defeated condemnation, he defeated death. He's, Paul's saying that you and I need to think about life not on the condition of what we see in front of us, not what's going on. Instead, it needs to be related to God's love, to what he says in his word, and that experience we have through Jesus. Paul, interestingly, wrote this letter to the church in Rome to sort of point out to them, encourage them through persecution and struggles. He wanted to remind the church, based in Rome, who they were in Jesus, and not to look at their circumstances. Now, scholars say that this was written towards the end of the 50s, you know, that decade of the 50s AD. The church actually, believe it or not, was in relative peace, most people would say. But around 64 AD, the emperor Nero is on the throne. He's the emperor of Rome, and fire breaks out. You might have heard the thing, you know, Nero fiddling while, emperor Nero fiddling while Rome burns. And when that event happens, Nero does something. He decides to find a group to blame. And the group he chooses to blame are the Christians. And massive persecution broke out to the church in the Roman Empire, particularly in Rome. Huge persecution. People being thrown to lines, so on and two, burned alive. Horrible things happen. And Paul's writing this year a few years in advance. I'm not saying that's going to happen to us, by the way. (laughs) Just be clear. But there's something about knowing that truth. That what we see and what God says are so different. And then Paul poses a question to the church in Rome in the letter, but also to all of us who read that letter as Christians. He asks, what can separate us from Jesus? Persecution? Danger? Hunger? Fear? Even death, what can separate us for what we've won in Jesus? And then he goes on to say, no thing, nothing, no thing can separate us from God's love in Jesus Christ. And you know, when we read that, we go, oh, conquerors, that's great. But Paul actually made a new word in this. 
Gosh, I'm really getting into the text. Uh, yeah, today is just where I've led, by the way, so apologies. It sounds like I've become some wonderful scholar. I haven't. I just dug into this. He wasn't satisfied with just the word conquerors. If Paul had said conquerors only, it actually would have been enough, really, when you think of that definition that we looked at earlier. But he added a bit more. So what we translate as more than conquerors is actually, he puts the word hyper. So it's actually, the original text is hyper nakao. And he merged them into this new word. And he was very deliberate in doing that to get his point across. So the word hyper means over, beyond, more than, so more than conquerors. And you just think about it now, here's the nerd of me coming out. Star Wars, Millennium Falcon, hyperdrive, hyperspace. No, hyperdrive is not your ordinary drive. No, that thing goes faster. Or, for those of your parents and your child's been hyperactive, okay, your child has been a little bit more active than, you know, it, there's something more than in that. And when we look at what God is telling us through his word and says we're conquerors, we are more than, we're hyper-conquerors because of Jesus. We're amazingly above and beyond what normal conquerors are because of who God is and what he's done for us. But when it comes to our own view as Christians, we can struggle as we battle our thought life. Even though we can read these truths, our self-perception and how God sees us can be, can be pulled apart. And we need to start to look at it like a battle in our mind. Paul talks about taking every thought captive deliberately because sometimes the thoughts that we allow to inhabit come out in our lives in a way that actually isn't good for us or anyone else. The problem is that we can see this battle. Let's call it a battle of light and darkness in our mind, just maybe just to sort of context it. We can see it as an equal battle. No, sorry, thought, you know, good thoughts about God and the negative thoughts about ourselves or maybe other people. And I like it, some equal struggle and they're sort of pushing and pulling, maybe trying to get into a rear naked choke if you watch MMA or anything like that. Oh, no, okay. But it's not a wrestling match. It's not a wrestling match. We don't have to look at it like we're there cheering in an equal battle cheering on team light to win over the darkness in our minds. Because it's such a bad picture. I'll give you an example. You walk into a room, total darkness. You flip the light switch. What happens? Room floods with light. What we don't do in that situation is flick the light on and then pray and try and encourage and give a motivational speech and read some scripture to the light to say, oh, well, can you, you know, come on, come on, overcome the darkness. We don't do that. It's happened. When God's word, when we let God's word inhabit our thinking, when we let God's word get in there against the things that have been said to us, against our situations, against how we see ourselves, when we let that, what God says about us, inhabit us, then we, it's not a wrestling match. Jesus has already won. God's word is preeminent over all things. It isn't an even battle. When we allow God to inform our identity, to truly define us through his word, through what he says about you and me, when we learn to see 
when we learn to think of ourselves through God's eyes, not all those other things that define us, then we walk in victory. We walk in victory in our life. We walk in victory. And that victory manifests itself in one, some wonderful ways. Despite the troubles we see in our lives, we walk out as hyper-conquerors. And then Paul goes on and he says this. He says, I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither the present nor future powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He's convinced. Are we convinced? Are we convinced that we're so accepted by God that when we mess up, He's not rejecting us? Are we convinced that when life just seems to throw garbage at us, that it's not some punishment from God, we don't start to let that inhabit our being, rather than going, no, I'm more than a conqueror, and God loves me in spite of what I see, in spite of what's ahead of me. When we get to that point, we start to make decisions in a different way. There's a guru who described decisions as this, I'm sorry, a management guru, by the way, in case you're wondering sort of if I'm bringing in some Hindu mysticism, I'm not. But he said a decision is that you've looked at every possible action and decided there is only one. This is the way I'm going. When we decide that our identity, no matter what the circumstances, no matter what other people say, is in Jesus, when we make that decision, it is powerful and it is real and it is life-changing. Imagine this. If you and I woke up each morning and we said, I am sure of God's love for me. When the world is shaking and falling apart, and I know that's happening in people's lives here, we go, no, I am more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ. I know it, and I'm going to think it, and I'm going to walk it, no matter what happens. In our thoughts and our lives, we are not called to fear like the rest of the world. We're called to be voices of victory, hyper-victory through Jesus. And also calling people who are already in the world and showing them how Jesus has defeated everything that is coming against us. Not that it won't happen, but actually that our attitude is different, that we are different. What does that mean? Well, when everyone else is trembling around us, we can be the peace in the situation. We can bring God's peace. Let's people start seeing that in our lives. Let's start seeing peace in our lives because of God's peace inhabiting us. What about the victory? Let's them see the victory of our thought life, of how we believe. Even if someone says something. I've been in a situation, and I won't go into why, where someone actually threatened me in, in a meeting one time, years and years ago. Valerie was there. And I'd shared something the week before, and someone came to me and said, my uncle says, you better watch yourself. True story. Now, I sat there and my knees knocking together and everything else. But something happened in, that, in a few moments that God brought to mind one scripture. Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. The truth of God's word changed my attitude to that threat. And actually, the room had just gone, boom, silent. And it lifted, not because 
of Newland McKelvey, but because of God's word in the situation, because of God's promise. And we need to live that. We need to not only know it, but live it. And this is great, I'm sure, in terms of, right, that's, you're saying, ah, oh, Newland McKelvey, right, you've told me all these things, but how can we help ourselves? How can Newland McKelvey help himself? How can you help yourself? Well, I just want to just point out three things, just as we close, that we can do to help. One, I know this is boring, isn't it? You're going to talk about the Bible. Yeah, but I am, because God's Word, it's so important that we spend time in it. And actually, if you're worried about, okay, well, how do I do that? Then if you're at the DCs, uh, DC groups, Debbie, you'll see Debbie doing a series on how to read the Bible and how to get you know, as much as you can out of it. That resource, I believe, is actually in our resources section of our website. Just being able to, you know, if, you know, but do a devotional. Use that as your template, whatever it is. But get to know God's word. You could start with, what's God, what are God's promises? What is God's promises in my life? Or what does God say about who I am? I'm skimming this subject. There is massive amounts of it in the Bible. Being open to the Holy Spirit. Not only when we read the word, but what's God saying to me through his spirit? What's God want to say to this church the way Fran did this morning? Got up with no intention of standing up here with a microphone, but God had other plans. Thank God for that. Let's, let's, let's be open to that as a body of people and as individuals. And equally, be ready and willing to transform. I'm borrowing an analogy from meeting about the can of paint, so I'll, sort of, I'll give credit on this one. See, that can of paint is capable of transformation. The same way applying God's word to our life or responding to the prompt of the Holy Spirit. But until it's opened and put on the wall, the wall's never transformed. The same way when God speaks to us through his word, through other people in the body of Christ, until we apply it to ourselves and we allow God to apply it to our lives, we won't be transformed. But when we do, the transformation is absolutely unbelievable. Not when I'm doing the painting, by the way, but when other people, the professionals are doing it. So, just as a close, and we're going to do communion this morning. Spend time this morning, please, and focus on who Jesus is in your life and what Jesus has done for you. The one who made us hyper-conquerors. And I just ask you this, if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, would victory not be a better life? Would victory not be a better life to live? And believe me, with other things you think you can never get victory over. Jesus said he was the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but over the light of life. Let us be the light in situations. Let us be peace. Let us be love in the world around us. Why? Because Jesus, the light of the world, has made you and I more than conquerors. Hyper-conquerors in everything we face every day.